0: Have you already registered for the live recording of episode 200 on November 30th? If not, head over to com and register there. If you're already on the email list, then good, you'll get that invite. Also, are you early in your career? Are you maybe a student that is uh, more advanced in the career? Then Also register for the workshops that we have, the three hour interactive fun workshops that we have to boost your career as a statistician on 1st of December. Just head over to the effective statistician and register there and please tell your colleagues about it as well. You're listening to the Effective Statistician Podcast, a weekly podcast with Alexander Schacht, Benjamin Pieske and Sam Gardner designed to help you reach your potential, lead great science and serve patients without becoming overwhelmed by work. Today Sam is talking with some amazing people about statistical engineering, so stay tuned for that and now some music. checked out our homepage recently, statistician.com. We are adding their free content on a pretty continuous basis and we are updating it. And there's lots of free stuff to find beyond everything about the podcast episodes, of course. So have a look there and see whether there's something helpful specifically for you, for example, about data visualization, about increasing your influence, or some other nice things that will help you to be a more effective statistician. And producing this podcast in association with PSI, a community dedicated to leading and promoting the use of statistics within the healthcare industry for the benefit of patients. Join PSI today to further develop your statistical capabilities with access to the video-on-demand content library, free registration to all PSI webinars, and much, much more. Head over to the PSI website at PSIweb.org to learn more about PSI activities. Become a PSI member today.
1: Well, today we're talking with uh, three very uh special guests, people I've known for a while professionally, and they are, have been involved with promoting the idea of statistical engineering. So we're going to talk in this podcast about what is statistical engineering and hear from them uh, what they think it is. And so let me go through here and introduce who we've got with us. So first of all, we have uh, Roger Hurl. Hi, Roger. Hello. Hi. Welcome. Thanks for being on the podcast. And uh, we also have Ron Snee. Hello, Ron. Hi. And we have Jeff Vining. Hi, hi Jeff. So, and um, while we start here, why don't you just each a little bit, tell us a little bit about yourself. And I guess maybe the, uh, the two questions that would be good to share would be, number one, tell us how you came to be a statistician, you know, the, the Reader's Digest condensed version of that. And then um, tell us what you're doing right now. So why don't we start with Roger? Roger, tell us about that. Sure.
2: Well, it was uh, not that hard for me. Uh, My father was a statistician. He was the first statistician hired by DuPont in 1950. So that was kind of on the back of my mind as I left high school and went off to college. I was a math major. And after I started getting into real math, you know, like real analysis, abstract algebra, that kind of stuff, I pretty quickly realized, I don't really want to be a pure mathematician. This is not what I want to do with the rest of my life. So knowing that my father was a statistician, I thought, well, let me take a statistics course. There was only one statistics course offered at my college, but I took it. I found that uh, kind of a breath of fresh air that I actually got to see real numbers and and solve at least fake problems, if not real problems, And then I did a follow-up with one of the professors in regression analysis. And then I really got hooked. So I decided to go to grad school in statistics. So I spent about 30 years in the private sector. I did two summer internships in grad school at DuPont. Actually, Ron Snee was my boss. That's how we got to know each other. And in 2012, I decided to make a career change and left the private sector for academia. I'm at Union College in Schenectady, New York, basically teaching statistics and sponsoring a statistics minor at the college.
1: Excellent, okay, great. Well, thanks for that. And Ron, how about you? How, how did you get into statistics and what is it you're doing right now?
3: Uh, well, uh, the beginning uh, is very similar to uh, Roger. I was a math major at Washington Jefferson College. Um, as uh, we got to uh, my senior year in math, uh, it wasn't as, as interesting. And uh, I had taken the only stat course that was offered, and I kind of liked it. And I decided to go to graduate school. And uh, I got a, an assistantship at Rutgers in, in statistics, so I took it. And so I was uh, there, got my, did my graduate work. I was on the faculty for two years. Uh, then I decided to uh, go uh, to DuPont. And uh, they had an applied statistics group. I was in that group for about 16 years, uh, eight years as a technical statistician, another eight years as a manager. Then I moved into uh, some managerial positions in DuPont and later got into total quality management uh, in engineering. And, um, uh, From there, uh, I took an early retirement uh, from DuPont and got uh, more involved in uh, process and organizational improvement, working with Joyner Associates. Later, Bell Atlantic, I was vice president of process assurance for, for Bell Atlantic. Then I went to Sigma Brute Breakthrough Technologies. That's where I got involved in the Six Sigma work. So you can see there's a statistical theme to all of this. And then I moved from there to Tonell Consulting, there's where I got big time focusing on pharma and biotech and did that for about nine years, uh, then uh, decided to go out on my own and that for the last 10 or 11 years, that's what, I, what I've been running my own operation focusing on uh, pharma and biotech. So that's what I'm, uh, what I'm doing today. I teach at uh, Temple University in their uh, Regulatory Affairs Quality Assurance uh, teaching design of experiments and process monitoring and statistical quality control. I, do, I still uh, do consulting, and I do research, again, on statistical uh, studies in, um, in pharma and biotech.
1: Excellent. Excellent. And then, Jeff, tell us about you a little bit.
3: I'm not the mathematician. So
4: I started out in chemical engineering, and in fact, my very first stat course was taught by a former director at Texaco. In the chemical engineering department. And it's,
0: I, I love it.
4: You know, it's the book, it was the Goodman, Wilkes, and Hunter book. And of course, the first major statistician they ever got to meet was Stu. So it's kind of, you know, kind right. of sweet. Um, I got interested in statistics as an undergraduate. I was there for a long time. I became a professional undergraduate for a while. I enjoyed life at the University of Tennessee. So i I was very close to a degree in statistics, but did not get my degree in statistics. Uh, soon thereafter, I got a job as a process engineer making pencil lead. So if we get bored today, I can bore everybody even more about how do you make pencil lead. I'm probably one of the top 10 experts still in the world on pencil lead, only because there are only five, you know. <laughs> But it's ceramic engineering, and it was really a lot of fun. And I was the closest thing that company had to a statistician. It was a small company in Middle Tennessee. We started out, this was in the uh, early 80s, and did a Deming Quality Improvement Program. And I had a big role in it. Um, my first wife was uh, from an academic family, so we decided that uh, we would, I would pursue a PhD in statistics because I was having fun with it. And I came up to Virginia Tech. Got my degree and then went to Florida for 11 years. I mean, My area has always been quality, productivity, reliability, uh, generally trying to plan experiments to improve them. And I've had fun doing it through my whole career. So I was at Florida for 11 years and then came back here as department head. And then once I stepped down as department head, it reminds me of my favorite line from Animal House, probably seven years of college down the drain. That's how long I was at the department head. <laughs> But ever since then, I've gotten to play and and be able to get into some really cool problems. So right now I'm dealing with projects with NASA and Rolls-Royce that are, uh, the Rolls-Royce one is a high profile one. Uh, The NASA process is is an interesting one. So I'm having fun.
1: Yeah. I think that's the, you're giving that uh, more evidence to that saying that statisticians gets to play in everybody's. Play yard everybody's backyard right there's wherever there's data and wherever ever there's problems to be solved, statisticians can be involved in those areas so it's cool so today we're talking about statistical engineering, and I think a lot of people that would listen to this podcast don't even know what that is they may have not even heard that term so I don't know one of you probably either ron or or Roger, one of you, want to tell us a little bit about what is statistical engineering?
2: Sure, I'll start off and then Ron can also chime in. Uh, We do actually have a formal published definition, so if it sounds like I'm reading something, uh, I'm just telling you the formal published definition. Statistical engineering is the study of the systematic integration of statistical concepts, methods, and tools, often with other relevant disciplines to solve important problems sustainably. So what does that actually mean? The, the terms are chosen carefully. Uh, we refer to it as a discipline. That is, it's the study of something. It's not a collection of tools. It focuses on integration. So we're talking about problems that cannot be solved with one method or perhaps even one discipline, but require integration of multiple methods and discipline in a logical sequence, and we're talking about solving important problems sustainably. So it's very much problem-oriented as opposed to tool or technique-oriented. So when we talk about statistical engineering, we're not focusing on a given set of tools, how do we apply these tools, but we're really talking about how do we take a complex problem and think about engineering a solution to that Utilizing a variety of tools that might be necessary.
1: Okay, that's a, that's a I think that's a good thorough formal definition, Ron. Maybe you could tell us a little bit more. Just if you had to tell someone that you met, you know, uh, casually, what statistical engineering is, what, how would you describe it to them?
3: Well, I would describe it that uh, we're uh, use statistical engineering that uh, when you're attacking large complex problems. And Rogers uh, mentioned that uh, you've got to get a solution that is sustainable over time. And so you need a way of, uh, of doing that. Uh, and you basically, Roger hinted at this as statistical engineering is tool agnostic. We use whatever tools are needed. And uh, we have no, no favorite, favorite tools or another way of saying it. The only ones that are favorites for us are the ones that work in a particular problem that, that we're working on. I think the other thing that I would say is it's not quite in the definition, although it is, it says about um, the relevant sciences and probably the most relevant science. uh, Well, there's two relevant sciences for almost any problem. There is the subject matter of the particular problem, the science of the particular problem, and computer science. Uh, We think it's really important uh, to um, embed the solutions in uh, computer systems, uh, which can help sustain the the solution over time.
1: Okay. So as you say that and you describe that, I think, well, that's a lot what statisticians do in in many ways. A lot of times when they're involved with solving problems, they do that. And so, I mean, how did you come up with this idea of statistical engineering and, and maybe what distinguishes it from just in general working as a statistician?
3: Before we do that, I think it's important to uh, see uh, some of the go back a little bit further. Before uh, Roger's going to give you an answer to that question, I can see him; he's really champing it a bit. Yeah. Uh, where this all got started was 2008. Technometrics published a panel discussion on the future of, of industrial statistics, and this group identified a lot of problems, and there are a lot of problems related to the, the to the future but they really didn't identify any solutions, at least as far as Roger and I were, were concerned. And uh, after we thought about it a while, uh, we, we felt that the real strategy, the thing we needed to focus on was working on statistical studies, which had greater impact than what was particularly being done at the, at the time and even still today. And the reason for that is simply, if you want attention, you work on something that's important to deliver a good solution, you will get uh, attention uh, so we went about uh, working on how to go about doing that and came up with the idea well we want impactful problems that are going to be large complex and unstructured uh, and uh, so then we invented uh, the whole idea of, uh, of statistical engineering the term came as Roger said was a whole idea of about engineering a solution and you know it's going to be a statistically based uh, solution so We published our ideas in a series of papers that came out in quality progress and quality engineering in 2010. And then it's kind of gone on from there.
2: Yes. So I'm going to follow up with uh, some comments from Michael Jordan at Berkeley, who who gave a talk uh, where he, he included a slide on statistical engineering. And then I'm going to defer to Jeff because Jeff is a chemical engineer and we feel the analogy between chemistry and chemical engineering is a good one for the differential between statistics and statistical engineering they're not competitive but rather they're synergistic so what i'm going to do i'm just going to highlight some things that that michael jordan said at the symposium on statistics in the data science era this is a talk he gave at the university of michigan September 20th, 2019. So the title of the slide is Statistics as a Problem Solving Culture. Engineers pride themselves on solving problems. Statisticians don't think of themselves as being engineers. We aspire to be scientists discovering truth, but often society needs us to solve problems to carry out the statistical analog of building a bridge or electrifying a city we're often kidding ourselves regarding discovering truth. So let's embrace being engineers and think about what statistical engineering could look like as a counterpart to statistical science. So rather than studying the fundamental laws of statistical methods or their application, statistical engineering is looking at how can we solve these large complex problems utilizing a variety of methods, statistical and non-statistical, to achieve a desired outcome. Oh, With that, okay. I'll, I'll pass to uh, Jeff.
1: Yeah, Jeff, that'd yeah. be good to kind of maybe contrast, like, what chemistry versus chemical engineering, and maybe that would be a good way to think about, then, statistics versus statistical engineering. So.
4: Amen, and that's from where I come. So mm-hmm. um, it was fascinating when we were beginning to set up the association. And and we were doing research on this. Uh, The origin of the chemical process industry is actually in the U.S. The beginnings in Europe were all specialty chemicals. And there, the chemists worked directly with mechanical engineers. The chemists never learned any engineering. The engineers never learned any chemistry, But they were dealing with very small batch processes. In the U.S., it was all commodity-based. So being able to be efficient was how you made money. So it was much larger scale. Uh, So actually, the origins of chemical engineering is from MIT, from what was called Course 10, uh, which was in the chemistry department for many years until they finally spun off as a separate department. And what they were trying to do was to take engineers, teach them the chemistry, and to take chemistry to the chemists to take enough understanding of the engineering so that they could build more efficient and effective processes. How can we build, how can we create building blocks that we then know how to put together? So within chemical engineering, people talk about the unit operations, you know, heat transfer, the unit operation, chemical reactor design is a unit operation. And, you know, if you're doing distillation, separation processes, it, it's all basically the same size. And the equipment is very similar. So it was this blend of skills here. So what it means is how can we create a strategy for implementing the science in order to actually make something profitable? And that's the reason why it's both science and engineering. And that's why I'm very attracted to what we're trying to do. You know, I've been a big believer in what Roger and Ron have been doing for since the beginning. So I've been happy to be involved in this process.
1: Yeah, I think what as I've matured as my in my practice as being a, as a statistician and working solving problems, that idea of I think it was the the talk that Michael Jordan gave. It says statisticians are seeking truth a lot. I think that is a good way to say it. I, even today, I was in a meeting and with the, and there was another statistician in the room and he was talking a lot about I guess it was more like theoretical things like what's the model and what you know what's mu and what's sigma you know, and that type of thing. And that's not what the people in the room needed, you know?
2: Yeah. Now, just to uh, build on what Jeff said, it's not uh, chemists. I I worked in the chemical industry at DuPont and then at Hercules. Chemists and chemical engineers don't hate each other. Generally, Uh, chemical engineers respect the deep knowledge in chemistry that chemists have. And chemists generally respect the processing knowledge of chemical engineers who can take fundamental chemistry and figure out how to make money with it. So we wanna make it clear, we're not saying statistical engineering is better than statistics, statistical science, or is gonna replace it. We need the statistical science. We just happen to agree with Michael Jordan that for a couple hundred years, our discipline is really focused on going deep, deep, deep on the science and hasn't published a whole lot on going broad in terms of the engineering aspect of how do I take this stuff and actually drive fundamental change with it?
4: The turning for having is how to make that tent fit, how to get all of the bodies involved to, to work together to advance efficient, effective solutions to these complex opportunities that are around us.
1: Right, and and Jeff, you mentioned briefly there. You said the association. We'll talk about a little bit later, but that's the International Statistical Engineering Association. And yes. when we finish up, we'll talk about that and what that organization is. But um, so we talked about it sort of in general. What is statistical engineering? Could one of you give a maybe an example of what a statistical engineering problem and or project and solution looks like?
2: Yeah, I think we all can. <laughs> But uh, I'll, I'll start with one that I worked on. It actually was in finance. I worked on this when I was at GE Global Research. It was done in conjunction with GE Capital. They had just lost over $125 million on bonds of WorldCom. And we're trying to figure out, is there a way we could have predicted this ahead of time and not have to just take these huge losses? So they came to the research center and long story short we put a team together to look into this problem whether we could predict defaults in advance and the first thing we figured out is there's is no generally accepted definition of default so different organizations done in Bradstreet S&P etc they have different definitions of default so we realized we're being asked to predict something that wasn't defined and then we asked, okay, well, what data do you have? And they said, well, we've kind of been built by acquisition and none of the databases talk to each other. So we don't really have any data to give you. So we, we want to predict something that's not defined with no data. And then we got into the issue of how much does a type one error versus a type two error cost? You know, if we don't uh, sell and it defaults versus if we do sell and it don't, doesn't default." Well, they hadn't really thought through that there is such a thing as a type one and type two and, and how they might be balanced. So we realized we don't really have a project. We have, kind of have a mess. We, we have some concepts and we had to take a, a month, not, not one meeting, but a fair amount of time just to kind of structure the problem so that we had something tangible to work on. Now, in my experience in grad school, and certainly the textbooks that I've read, you don't see this in textbooks of taking a month to figure out what's the problem we're actually trying to solve. And then, even when we started getting data, there's a lot of theory that's been published on financial default. You know, some people, Black and Scholz, for example, have won Nobel Prizes on it. So we didn't dive into the data, we dove into the literature to understand the context and understand the nature of this problem, where it came from, how GE Capital does trading, what their objectives are. So then we spent a lot of time just trying to understand the background to the problem. Then we had to figure out, okay, now how are we gonna attack this thing? How are we gonna get the right data? What kind of analyses are we gonna do? Uh, What kind of expertise do we need? We ended up getting a team of statisticians Machine learning types, today they'd be called data scientists, but we didn't have that term back then. We had pure computer scientists that were pulling data from web scraping and things like that. And to make a long story short, we ended up with a solution that went through f- several phases and utilized a lot of different methods from Markov chains to classification and regression trees, the web scraping, to smoothing, to there's quite a few others. So it it doesn't really resemble any of the textbook problems that I've read because of the difficulty in getting started in the first place, Mm -hmm. the breadth of the problem, the personalities involved. We actually had an international team from India, from Stanford, Connecticut, and from New York that we had to coordinate. So this is one where we really had to Pull together, link, and integrate multiple disciplines in order to come up with a viable solution that would actually be sustainable over time.
1: Right, and when you say sustainable, was the output some sort of prediction system that would be used at a on a routine basis? Yes, it was. That, it was an output need-
2: prediction. Sorry, it was an output prediction system that met their requirements. Which was, and this I'm, I'm not joking. It has to be red, yellow, green. It can't be things like probability of default and so on. It has to be a map with red, yellow, green because the traders who would actually use it were not people that were necessarily uh, well-versed in statistics. And then uh, we developed a control plan to monitor the system over time and look at type 1 and type 2 error rates to see when this would likely need to be retuned, realizing sooner or later it will need to be retuned. They actually embedded it into their deal process, meaning the business process for approving large deals, either sale or acquisition, required them to run that entity through our model and include in a proposal what the model said. So it wasn't hardwired. But it was included, embedded into the overall business process,
1: right? And so that's really why you needed a broader team because you needed some people that could actually build that automated system. You know that someone that was either integrated in another system that when you entered the data, it gave you red, yellow, green.
2: Exactly right. right. And building the model was was one piece of the overall effort, but a, a fairly small one.
1: Okay. Well, I think that's a good example, you know, and and uh, I, I've seen that in different areas where I've worked, and that seems like that's a a common type of thing that has to happen in areas of like finance and insurance a lot, where, particularly where you're doing risk rating. You know, you really have to right. assess risk, and you need to assess it on the fly. You need like now, I need a I need a measure of risk now.
3: And,
2: Absolutely, and people are generally reluctant to use black box models where they're not quite sure why it's saying. They should do what the model's telling them to do. So having some kind of transparency is very important. Uh, I think you touched on that this being a somewhat common problem. We do want to make it clear. We're not saying the rest of the profession is down here and we're up here because we've thought of all these bigger issues. People have been thinking about these bigger issues for a long time. You yeah. know, the George Boxes, the John Tukey's of the world. However, they didn't really document how they did it. <laughs> They document how they built the models, but they didn't document how they approach these problems. So what we're trying to do with ISEA is fill in those gaps to explain, here's how to think about and approach these problems that people are doing already, but there aren't 20 good books on how to do it. Like there are 20 good books on design of experiments, machine learning and so on.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We were talking before the show a little bit, uh, uh, Jeff and I, you know, a lot of the f- things that go around getting a problem solved don't have anything to do really with statistics, but with math, exactly right. right? Right. And so how do you um, work it,
4: with other people in a lot of cases?
1: Yeah, yeah. There's all that aspects of just general uh, communication, leadership, trust, um, getting, you know, f- I think what you described in that uh, example you gave, Roger was just defining the problem well enough so you could actually get a solution. Cause lots of times the, someone just says, can can you just fix something? You know, I, yes. they, they kind of know what the pain is, but they haven't defined it in a way in a structured enough way that you actually can apply a statistical or engineering or computer problem solving method to get an answer.
2: Right? One and of my to- favorite questions is what exactly is the problem we're trying to solve?
1: Yeah, that's, a, that's be the best question. How many ask.
2: meetings I've been in where that creates an awkward silence in the room because people suddenly realize they're not quite sure what problem we're trying to solve or they each have their own idea, but they're different from what the other people are thinking.
4: It takes three to six months to resolve it because nobody had thought about it. Exactly. <laughs> so,
1: Ron, any other, you know, examples or or things you want to mention about, you know, what does a statistical engineering uh, task or project look like?
3: Uh, Yeah. And uh, I think uh, uh, the way I've been sitting here thinking about uh, your your, uh, one of the audiences is uh, the clinical studies. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a great uh, opportunity for using statistical engineering. And uh, why do I say that? With my background, I spent eight years in pharmaceutical development in Dupont, and then uh, actually I was leading the uh, the statistics organization, uh, doing that work, and then um, a consulting work. I also did clinical uh, clinical trials for some of the big pharma companies. Uh, but all right, so statistical engineering, what do you look for? Well, the first thing you look for is that big problem, that important problem. And in a pharmaceutical company, uh, in argue, you can argue that once you have a pharmaceutical, the biggest problem is getting it developed and getting it uh, to market. So it's certainly an important problem. It's high impact because there's millions of dollars involved in these. So I think the biggest uh, spend, it, spend of money is in the of the, the development area. So it's high impact. You look for one where there's a number of organizations involved and clinical has had a number of different fi- uh, fingers in the pie, both internal to the organization and external. And then you bring in a... Uh, a research organization to do these uh, these studies and you got another organization. So uh, you got multiple organizations and what happens is you have multiple fingers in the pies, multiple agendas, and there's all kinds of politics. And a rule of thumb that I use, some people ask, well, when is politics a problem? Well, a politics occurs whenever you have at least two people talking to one another, you will have politics. So, you know, and if you have 20 or 30, uh you know the site the uh, it goes out of sight, and then of course you're looking for something that's that's data based because uh, we want to use data to solve problems but um, i don't know I wouldn't be afraid to tackle a problem that was uh important and had a lot of organizations that didn't have data associated with it uh because I'd find some data someplace so those are some um, you know those are some of the some of the things uh that uh, that I look for Um Roger and uh, Jeff may have some other
1: ideas. Well, and I think in pharma, you know, like in that area of clinical trials, there are lots of problems that are common across clinical trials, right? You're always facing the same problem. Like, for example, in the enrollment rate, how quickly can you get people enrolled in the clinical trial? And maybe a statistical engineering problem would be, how can we make the process of enrollment more predictable
3: Every clinical group I talk to, uh, that's one of their problems. How can they do yeah. that uh, uh, more effectively?
1: Yeah. There's, and and there's also, problems. how can we make the process of doing that easier as well? You know, yeah. what I was, I was talking about today is what we've got to uh, uh, again in a meeting where it seems like now every time we've got a problem to solve, every, every problem solving effort is a new project. And a lot of it has to do is because we don't have good data. We don't have organized data. We don't. So it's always like we, we got to go hunt down the data and find where the data is and get it organized. Well, maybe the statistical engineering problem to work on is how can we have better organized data and easier retrieval of data so it's ready to get or ready to be analyzed. Right.
4: Learn from that experience and teach others how to do it. That's right. what we're trying to do with this discipline. You know, right. let's do these one-offs. Let's learn and let's teach.
1: So you talked about this, so maybe we could talk a little bit about the ISEA, the International Statistical Engineering Association. Tell me about that organization and its history and what its purpose is.
2: Yeah, Jeff uh, was really the the person that spearheaded this effort. So Jeff, we're going to, Ron and I are going to defer to you.
4: (laughs) I appreciate that. I'm a catalyst. That's how I operate. And I was the point of reaction for this. Yeah, Roger and Ron have been talking about this for a long time, I and mean, we weren't seeing traction in this, the statistical societies, not seeing much going on in the American Cisco Association, not much in the American Society for Quality. And I've been doing some stuff with the military, and there was a real opportunity there. There was a conference out there called Dataworks, in which we've been engaged for several years. And began to see that there was a real opportunity to market this to groups that would not, we would not traditionally think about as where data analysis was really critical to what they did. But they're dealing with very complex problems. Uh, for example, my funding for uh, my uh, research here is, is the Science of Test Research Consortium for the Department of Defense, which is all about how can we come up with more efficient weapons tests. Um, Work I'm dealing with with Rolls Royce is dealing with the Trent 1000 engine, which they're losing a billion dollars a year on, on uh, warranty. Yeah. So it's got impact there. And these are complex problems, but you're dealing with people that haven't been traditional statisticians, but who appreciate that there is a need for this. So I saw an opportunity here and I said, I just sent out a feeler. You know, I had an intention that perhaps we could form a society. But I was more interested in the theater, so clearly I reached out to Roger and Rod and several other critical people. Um, ultimately, we had the group of, what, 15? Was it 13 or 15? Almost I think everybody 15. could show. 15. Yeah. And, um, and we met in December a few years ago, and that was the real origin of the society. But it was the right time. It was the right moment. We had a critical mass of really good leadership, and it's taken off pretty well. Um, the pandemic has not, hit. I know it's hurt me because my bandwidth is down to zero, but we still seem to be doing well. And Roger, you're the past chair. Yeah, we
2: have, uh, I just checked our website. We have 363 members right now. Now the organization was actually, uh, incorporated if I'm not mistaken in 2018, end of 2018, yeah. Middle year, John. So middle of the year, 2018. And then something we do that not everybody does, we actually purge our membership roster at the end of the year. We send uh, all members an email asking if they want to continue. It's free, by the way. But if they don't respond, yes, I'd like to stay as a member, then they're purged because people move on, they retire, they pass away. And some organizations have a lot of members, but none of them are, are really active anymore. So we wanted to make sure our numbers reflect people that, as of right now, want to be members of ICEA. And for an organization that's only been in, in existence a couple of years, I think 363 is a pretty good number.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it does sound pretty good. What types of um, resources or events or, or things like that does the ISEA provide?
2: The number one product that we offer to our members on our members only site is the, I see a handbook of statistical engineering. So we have a handbook. uh, It's almost complete. It's not quite complete, but we have several chapters currently available on the website and we are going to officially roll out the handbook in September so it, I'm going to go out on the limb here and say it will be completed in September, uh, the first edition. In addition to that, we have several uh, case studies that are available on the website. As you said, people like to see how does this apply to a real problem? So we have case studies from a diversity of application areas, some in pharma, some in uh, consumer products and so on, some in engineering And then we also hold meetings. There's a summit that we hold every year. The summit for 2021 will be online, will be virtual. But uh, Michael Jordan, who I mentioned previously, has just accepted our offer to speak at the summit in November. So more information will be coming out about that. We also offer regular webinars every couple of months or so. We offer webinars. We just had one, actually. Stefan Steiner, the University of Waterloo, gave a webinar. And then there'll be a next one in September where we're going to officially roll out the handbook and talk about how people can utilize it.
1: Excellent. So now would be a great time if you wanted to join the ISEA. It would be a good time to do it, wouldn't it?
2: You can't beat the price.
1: That's right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And I think the, the website for that is what? It's I-S-E-A dash change dot. Yes. So I see a change.
2: I see a
4: change. I, uh, yeah. Uh, I, see uh, a change.
2: I see a change. I-S-E-A dash C-H-A-N-G-E dot org. I change dot org with a dash between I see and change.
1: Okay. Well, that's great. I think any, I encourage any of the listeners here who have a a deeper interest in this to go check it out. And like I said, the cost of entry is very low. So uh, it would uh, be worth it. I'm, I'm a member and uh, I I do, I'm looking forward to seeing the handbook and completion and seeing what's in it. Um, um, One of the things that I was, as we were talking to that, and I I noticed this on the main page at, it mentions this a little bit for the ISEA that um, is statistical engineering a, a practice or a profession, or is it a discipline? You said it's a discipline. What, what is, how would you say what it is in that area?
2: Sure. I I would answer that by saying it is a discipline. Like chemical engineering is a discipline. Chemical engineering is not a subset of chemistry. It's a unique discipline. It's, There is a practice of statistical engineering. There's a lot of practice, uh, a lot of uh, practicing chemical engineers, but there's also a lot of academic chemical engineers who do research on chemical engineering. So Mm -hmm. a discipline has to have a healthy practice and it also has to have a healthy research arm or research base.
4: And an important component of the discipline is how to collaborate with other disciplines. And I think that's pretty unique to what we're trying to do. It's inherently transdisciplinary, and and that's one of the things that we really have to teach people.
1: Has there been any, any talk of starting like an, an academic program in statistical engineering at any university?
4: I try. I've taught a course in intro to statistical engineering. Diego Kuhnert, who's in Switzerland, is creating a program, has a pretty active program with, uh, within a business school. Um, we've been trying to get that up and we're going, but the pandemic has had a big impact on that. Um, it's gonna be harder to do it in the US schools. Uh, I was headlined up support here at Virginia Tech. Kwok uh, Sui is now here in industrial engineering. We've been trying to do something collaboratively between statistics, industrial engineering, Actually, mechanical and aerospace are really interesting. It's coming back to my Rolls Royce projects. Uh, I'm getting more traction from the mechanical engineers, believe it or not, than from really from the industrial engineers because they see the need. Right. Uh, but we're nascent. We're learning.
1: Yeah, it, it, it's very seems to be a, it, it's very cross disciplinary, you know, and then that's and even though even though it is a discipline in and of itself, it really crosses the boundaries of a potentially a lot of other academic and professional disciplines.
4: Absolutely. So learn how to communicate across those boundaries.
1: hmm Right. So if someone who's working as a statistician now, and let's say a statistician in the pharmaceutical industry, and they wanted to start learning really how to do statistical engineering and start doing it, what would be some good next steps for them?
2: I'd recommend they, they pull down the first couple of chapters of the handbook from the ISEA website and also go through some of the case studies. There is a pharmaceutical case study in there. So they'll get a sense of how does this actually apply to a real problem, especially in pharma. And I'm going to go out on a limb and predict what they're going to notice is The technical problem of here's the data, we have to fit a model to it, it will be there, but it will be a fairly small part of the overall effort. Whereas traditionally with statistical case studies, there's a one paragraph description of the problem and then 10 pages of data analysis and a model and very little said after that about what was actually done with the model once you developed it. So what you'll notice in these, there there is the the technical problem, the data, the modeling, that's part of it, but you'll see a lot more discussion of how do we figure out what what is the problem we're trying to solve? Where did the data come from? What were the limitations? Once we had a model, what do we do with it? How do we convince people that it should be used and figure out where to use it, work with those organizations to get it used and so on? So I think they'll see we're talking about something broader than perhaps what they're used to with a statistical case study.
4: So with a statistical case study, the whole idea was to showcase the theory. Here, ideally, we're showcasing the sustainable solution that came out of this whole process.
1: Excellent. Excellent. okay well great I, I, again it seems like you've get developing a lot of good resources there for people to use and that would be a good place to start is go to the IACA. I think
3: there's one page. other thing that needs that needs to be added what what's I that Ron? Again? oh yeah. we're, we're on
2: the that. edge of our chairs Ron. <laughs> <laughs> the the, uh, the thing that needs to be added
3: that uh, it's good to do what Roger said. But I wouldn't do that very long without going in my organization and looking for an important problem yeah. that needs solution. And what you're going to find is once you find it, it's going to be a mess, as Roger said. So it's going to be need to be structured. You're, uh, you you as, uh, as a statistician, you're going to see all kinds of things that you don't know how to attack. You get some answers off the website and so forth. You can talk with people. But I think the best way to to learn how to do it is to do it. Right. Um, and just struggle
1: right. with it, too, right? Yeah, yeah, struggle absolutely. through doing it.
3: Absolutely. And record the,
1: core the journey,
4: you know? We got to sell we have to talk about the journey because that's where the learning is. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great knowledge sharing within an organization and even across organizations about that aspect of the practice of what we do. Maybe that's sometimes lacking, we, and it, maybe it goes back to what we said before. Statisticians are they're seekers of truth, right? So what they want is I've got this really awesome statistical method, right, that I implemented that I developed. And it's but optimal, we really,
2: it's the best. It's, it's better than anything else, regardless of what problem we're trying to solve. Right,
1: right, and See,
2: the focus um, here is telling the journey about how we got these
4: solutions so that other people can build off of that. Yeah. So, I see it more as, as much as anything else, it's being able to tell the story well, which is why the case studies are true. Yeah.
1: Well, that's excellent. Well, I think you guys have given a really, really great overview of what statistical engineering is. I'm really hopeful going forward, this becomes more noticed as a discipline, right? More people, maybe even people, you start seeing people having a job title. As statistical engineer, yeah, you know, that that would be a big. That, I think that would be a big uh, step forward if if this is going to move forward as a, um, a, a really a new discipline that people follow. It, I don't know if as, that's as a
4: group that is statistical engineering. Do that, okay. And it's been in existence for about ten years.
1: Wow. We'll see. There you go. It's already there in some place. I and my I have not come across that in my experience, but you know, mostly in pharma. But uh, I wonder, too, if there's a little bit of just concern about using the word engineer for someone who doesn't have a formal degree in engineering as well. You know, so that's another thing to think about. Well, I think
2: if if you make a job title out of it, that becomes an issue uh, Mm -hmm. for, for, you know, engineering, as we know, is accredited by ABET organizations like that. However, I have seen people with job titles, financial engineer, data engineer and to the best of my knowledge these are not ABET accredited programs. Quality engineer that's very
1: Yeah, quality engineers. And you can get a certification in quality engineering through other organizations, right? So it's that's it's um, yeah, so that I guess that that is something that it wouldn't I guess you shouldn't be we shouldn't be afraid of taking that on as a title if we wanted to. So
4: coming up with a department of statistical engineering would lead to some of those very questions. Right. Yep. But, you know, creating the discipline and job titles, I don't think is as big an issue. And look at NASA. I mean, they have a group in statistical engineering. And of course that's a very engineering dominated agency of the government. Exactly. And they're comfortable with that.
1: Well, that's great. Well, I think what we'll do is we'll, we'll wrap this up. I mean, we probably could talk a lot more about just examples and what, what the future holds for statistical engineering, but I really appreciate you all taking the time to come on and, and, and talk about what it is and tell us about the, uh, the ISEA and um, the ICA, And, um, you know, and really appreciative, too, of the initiative that you've taken to move this forward. Uh, it, it's, it, um, it may be that this is the solution for the ongoing debate about our statisticians, data scientists, and our data scientists, statisticians. Maybe if we just started talking about statistical engineering, we wouldn't be fussing about those distinctions as much.
2: Yeah, I've I've kind of come to a new place when I'm asked those questions. And, and I basically say, look, I don't care what you call it. If you're doing this stuff, you're you're going to succeed. So mm-hmm. you can call it whatever you want, but just make sure you're doing these things, like very carefully documenting the problem you're trying to solve studying the background, the context of the problem, uh, developing an overall strategy for how you're going to attack it, ensuring that solutions are sustainable and they're actually put into place. If you're doing that stuff, let's not debate what to call it. We wanted to come up with a formal definition because a lot of these other terms are not well-defined today. A lot of uh, journals use the term AI, machine learning, data science, interchangeably and the public doesn't really know what any of them are. So anybody knows what they are. You want to know the truth?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, we'll, we'll wrap this up. And, you know, this is a great encouragement for those who are listening to move forward, you know, do good science, but also be do well at the process of solving problems in the organizations that we're involved with. Yeah, thanks uh, all of you for, for thanks, being Thanks, Sam, on for
3: the podcast doing this. Today. This was great. We yeah, really appreciate it. Thanks for having us.
0: This show was created in association with PSIs. Thanks to Rain, who helps with the show in the background. And thank you for listening. Head over to theeffectivestatistician.com to find the show notes. And there's much more material to improve your career and have more fun at work. Reach your potential, lead great signs, and serve patients. Just be an effective statistician.